0: everyone, relax. This is TOFOP. I'm Charlie Clawson.
1: I'm Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. How are you?
0: Hi, Will. Good. I mean, I would like to say this is the first TOFOP for 2020, but, um, you know, we've been doing a little bit. We've come back early uh, in order to raise uh, funds uh, for the fight against uh, people who have lost homes and belongings, the fire service. Bit of controversy around the Red Cross this week. (laughs) Had me pulling at my collar <laughs> when I was like, oh, don't let it be that TOEFOP is supporting some scam. <laughs> like, it would be very TOEFOP if we've raised almost $100,000 and it's going straight to the pockets of Christopher yeah. Skase's estate.
1: Yeah. $600 <laughs> of it has gone straight to those affected by the fires. <laughs> really, really helped out some people there.
0: Uh, yes, look, I've done, I, I, when I saw the uh, controversy around the Red Cross, I did read as much as I could and I feel like it's been slightly misrepresented what they were saying Uh, you know the way the the Murdoch press would have you believe is that they're not getting the money out to where it needs to go what the Red Cross is saying is we are not giving all the money out straight away because this is an ongoing crisis we are definitely addressing people who need it in the immediate uh, short term Um, but the funds will definitely be going all uh, to the to the people from the bushfire crisis and there's been a lot of controversy too around them taking a cut of some kind um that is nominated when you create the gofundme you can choose uh whether or not they take a percentage and i felt like because there are volunteers working on this that a percentage of the money that has been donated should go for the people who are doing all the admin and processing so just for transparency's sake yes a portion of the money is going to pay people at the red cross and gofundme uh, in order to have this fundraiser going. so and obviously, feel... and
1: obviously 65% of all the money raised is going straight to our Patreon, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally. Finally, we're getting paid.
1: <laughs> it's all there in the fine it's print. All... Just for transparency, yeah. <laughs> it's all there in the fine print. I mean, you think those James Fosdyke cartoon strips pay for themselves? No. Right. No, they literally have it for years this is the only thing that we could come up with we're like those hucksters that go door to door during a tragedy asking people for donations
0: i mean part of me did think wow like the response has been so amazing and so generous and it's like our initial goal was to raise five grand and we've raised almost 20 times that but then i was like what could we actually get people to give us money for that isn't a charity. Like, if it wasn't a national tragedy, what could we get people excited about that they'd want to give us just about the
1: same amount of money for? I mean, I think in the last ten years we proved something, Charlie. Nothing. Yeah, there is nothing that we right. can do that will get people to support this podcast <laughs> like a national tragedy. So the only time that we become relevant is when Australia is either on fire. Uh, or when uh, it's a hail the size of golf balls falling from the sky, putting out the fires. Luckily, it seems to be that that is what Australia was signed up to for about the next 20 years. So we should have one of these once a year.
0: So we don't want to bell Gibson it, right? We don't want to be like, oh, donate money because, you know, Charlie's really sick or something. But could we frame it in a way that is like, look, I don't have cancer or anything, Mm. but, you know, my soul hurts. (laughs) I I want some validation for what we do. Can you give us hundreds of thousands of dollars to validate 10 years worth of this stupid podcast?
1: It would be great. Because, I mean, realistically, that's only $10,000 a year.
0: Yeah. Like, it's not yeah, even exactly. a lot of money.
1: <laughs> it's less than the doll. If we had been taking the doll for this <laughs> podcast every year for 10 years, we would have made more money out of it than asking for $100,000 now.
0: Uh I mean, there's, people have been great. Uh, the last episode of uh, – we did a special – bunch of bonus. For those of you who are unaware, maybe you've been away or haven't been listening to podcasts, we recorded a bunch of – there's bonus will, philosophies, bonus – two bonus toe fops, a bonus Two Guys One Cup. So they're all out for you to listen to. And in the Two Guys One Cup, we asked people when they were donating to break down in percentages uh, what they were donating for. And I've been uh, having a great time reading that probably – on average, 5% goes towards us, yeah. 95% towards the firefighters and people have lost everything and 5% towards us.
1: I mean, we could feel bad about the fact that we've chipped in a little bit for Red Cross admin and like these are the yeah. people, you know, making sure that all the people in the right positions are getting the money that they need. So the idea that you spend some of that cost on employing people to do that, and implement those programs probably isn't as big a deal to me. I find the idea that like, Of course, if you've got a big organization that's helping people, you probably need some professional people within that organization to be resourced to distribute the things and get them out there. And obviously, in times of tragedy, there are greater imposts on those people. But as I said, Mm. Charlie, if everybody listened to those free podcasts had put in a dollar… Uh, we would have absolutely smashed it. And I've seen the amount of people who donated versus the amount of people who downloaded. And it is not yeah. the admin fees of the Red Cross who are the real thieves. It is the people who've been enjoying <laughs> this bonus entertainment. We were meant to have a holiday, Charlie. And we came yeah. back like the heroes that we are. Where was our order we of are. Australia medal on <laughs> Australia Day? Yeah. And we, came and we back. also
0: advocate for men's
1: rights as well. Yeah. <laughs> not enough clearly and yeah. so I don't think anybody's looking for the TOFOP endorsement for the next Prime Minister of Australia Joe Rogan style <laughs> <laughs> imagine that if next election we decide to endorse one of the candidates and then somebody an in investigative journalist like Kate McClymont or somebody goes back through old TOFOP episodes to discredit our endorsement
0: yeah. You know, these guys ranked? They ranked chocolates based on the biscuits that were inside them.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they
0: did four episodes on it.
1: You'll never look at a lazy susan the same way again.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, this reaction against—I uh, read a lot of the comments, which is always interesting—and. It seems like a lot of people wanted excuse to uh, not donate to charity because that was the, the the claim again and again. All the comments is like, "This is why I don't donate to charity. You can't trust it." And it's like, "No, no, no. I think this is saying more about you <laughs> and your your lack of philanthropy."
1: Oh yeah, like if it was ninety percent admin costs and ten percent was going to the charity, then that is probably a a reasonable idea. But the idea that people who get, it's like when people who get, yeah, that's why collecting is such an like you have to pay your collectors and people get upset that you have to pay your collectors. But for these charities, they work out whether that it is more effective to pay collectors and then you can raise, you know, a lot more money. Like mm. it's what, like when I see somebody in the street for a cause that I support, I often say to them, I say, I already support this cause. Um, and often mm. what I will do is just go and do it all online and sort of cut out the middleman of having to have that admin cost, But, We've talked about this before, and I got quite a lot of correspondence from people who work at charities going, "You have to have these overheads. This is, yeah, we've we've done the the work on, you know, whether it's more cost effective to pay some people or then bring in more money and have more money to use mm. and implement versus, you know, having volunteers and not paying people to recruit and us just not getting that money." Yeah, I mean, look at Tofop. I mean, we are not a charity,
0: but we bring income in through advertising and crowdfunding. Most of that goes out to employees that we have. I mean, that's exactly. We couldn't get the show out and running if we didn't have people like Mike Howell and James Fosdyke Mm -hmm. and everyone else that we paid to get the show uh, cut, edited, publicised, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean,
1: we are a charity case. No, we're the reverse. (laughs) Yeah, we need to get we need to get to the red cross cross model. That would be our ideal scenario if only ten percent of the money coming in was going on administration costs.
0: If only i mean someone's going to figure it out i mean someone has figured it out i guess it's like i guess it's the the door has been open for such a long time with podcasts and it feels like suddenly now all these people are rushing through and where are we like we're sort of in the game but i feel like we're being jostled amongst all the big boys now it's like well we were here first it's like well that argument doesn't that doesn't count when it, when it comes to sort of evaluating a podcast or monetizing a podcast. The fact that you've been here longer than anyone else mm. is not something that you can leverage in order to monetize your podcast.
1: If we've learned anything from Australian history, being there first isn't respected by those who come later We're and say this at is all. mine now. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, well, you know, there is the opportunity because, you know, I've been reading a lot about Joe Rogan this week. Um, Mm. And so I decided to dip my toes back into the Joe Rogan world post all the controversy around his Bernie endorsement. And then, you know, a lot of debate online about, you know, whether that's an appropriate thing and whether it's appropriate for Bernie to accept that endorsement, because some of the things that Joe has said are different to some of the things that Bernie believes in and all this. And I've, you know, read some pretty good commentary on both sides of it. And um, I don't have a definitive opinion, you know, one way Mm. or the other. I think, you know, I think if, you are a candidate who says these are my policies, and you are endorsed by somebody who says, who doesn't say you have to change any of those policies or anything. You haven't compromised in any way. You keep the things that you believe in. Just because that person who endorses you doesn't also believe in those things doesn't really, to me, devalue the words of the candidate themselves, probably. But it's just made me more mm. interested in Joe again because you suddenly realize how big an influence in the podcasting world Joe is. Like, I think Joe is probably. Mm the most powerful podcaster in the world you know when it comes to terms of influence Easily. when it comes to terms of his size of his audience is incredible but it's not just the size of the audience it's the influence that he has over those who listen to his podcast and the capacity he has for shaping their ideas and shaping their perspective of the world so what i'm really saying charlie is that <laughs> we should start talking a lot more about mmma and then and, sorry, and M-M-M-A,
0: DMT, not M M M A, DMT, M M M
1: A, yeah, triple M A,
0: yeah. Well, now that you've left, you can talk about triple M assholes,
1: right? Is that M M M M A or triple M A is something I could have pitched to triple M where we get various triple M stars to fight each other in a cage? I bet they could have done that promo. I think the thing that
0: makes Joe so unique is that there are heaps of big podcasts, but He is an independent podcast, the world's biggest independent podcast. So you're not getting the views of a corporation or, you know, an organization. It's literally shit that he is into and thinks about and enjoys in his perspective. And he has an audience of however many million people. So, you know, that's quite a powerful tool because, I mean, the one thing, there's a lot of criticisms you can level at Joe, but the one thing that I think you can't is it's it's a very broad church. I mean, he definitely gets on people with questionable political or social leanings, but he also gets people in from the other side as well. And I think that it's funny because I've been reading a lot of the commentary as well, and I think it's um, it's like a people who want to hate everything that uh, you know he represents can find lots to hate about him, and people who want to love everything he represents, you know, they can find it. He it's, he's, he appeals to such a broad range of people, but. Because of that, I don't think any argument any side can argue one way or the other.
1: Yeah. So basically what I'm saying is we should we should become the Joe Rogan of Australian podcasts. <laughs> yeah, we'll take two of us. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I'm down with that. Let's just like talk about psychedelics
0: and well one of us will have to take up martial arts and I don't think either of us are really into that. I mean well, I'll have to do it.
1: You'll have to do it. <laughs> I think I don't I want to do we're it. dividing up who's going to get to take the psychedelics and who's going to do the martial arts. Unfortunately, <laughs> mate.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not really a question about that, is it? I mean, I did hear him talking a few weeks back about why he loves jiu and martial arts right. in general. And it's this idea of, you know, you know, when you do martial arts it's all about discipline and and jujitsu especially is you're gonna get your ass kicked like no matter how good you get it there's always going to be someone who's better than you and you just got to get used to that idea of like being physically overpowered and having to overcome that adversity and i was like this sounds horrible (laughs) like i mean there's lots of challenges in my life why would i voluntarily pick up a challenge in which someone is rubbing my face into the ground or like a big bloke is lying across me. I don't I don't know that I need that. I mean, I, I get it, but can't I just, I, it's like why I don't do group exercise. I love going to the gym. I love staying fit, but I like doing it on my own terms. I can go at my own pace. I can exercise on my own. There's no one yelling at me. There's no one who's telling me to keep up or anything like that. But then the idea that you know, when I, at the moment, I'm doing like a lot of calisthenics. So that's like body weight kind of exercise. But at no stage am I getting hit in the face by my own knee or my own elbow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, the resistance of my own body weight is enough for me to fight against. I don't need my body then turning against me and punching me in the face.
1: Are you still meat free? Because if we're going to rogan it up, one of us needs to start hunting and eating elk. Uh, no, I'm eating meat again. Um, Do you, watch, that, that you I could... watch another documentary? <laughs>
0: Yeah, what's another? I just got <laughs> game Changers of, too.
1: We were wrong.
0: <laughs> I just got tired of farting all the time. I yeah. just could not stop farting, um, and also I did notice my energy levels dropped a lot. But I, what I would say is i probably cut out where I used to eat meat probably every meal. I'm probably eating meat once, once every couple of days now. Um, so it, it did make an impact. And then I, I heard uh, the guy who made the Game Changers documentary because. They did a big debunking episode on Rogan's show and then they had the director on with the doctor who debunked it and they had this big debate. It was really interesting. And the guy who made the documentary said, "Ah, I never said go vegan. I just said that you should look at maybe reducing your meat intake. So I was like, okay, well, if he's saying that, then I don't feel so bad about bailing out of veganism after
1: four weeks. (laughs) It's really weird that he didn't say go vegan, though, because every single person who's watched that documentary has decided to go vegan. So it feels yeah. like the documentary do- did lean a little towards making people go vegan.
0: I think it was the Arnie endorsement. That's what got me. With Arnold Schwarzenegger's there saying, hey, man, don't eat meat. I'm like, wow, well, that's bloody Mr. Olympia there. Is that what mm-hmm. he was, Mr. Olympia? Mr. Universe, Mr. Yeah, but he's also Terminator. a guy
1: who's made his fair share of mistakes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like- there wasn't a housekeeper he could keep his hands off. Like I'm not sure that you know you should be trusting him on everything. Um, you
0: came to the show with some prepared material, which is good.
1: Yeah, I was just going to quickly tell you a story about farting. It's rare that I have a farting story, oh. but yeah, okay, great. Um, but <laughs> okay. seeing that you seeing that you brought it up, I will tell you this: a quick little story. I had to go and visit a, a friend in hospital, and um, mm. they were in a, a ward where you know it's you've got curtained off areas so it's like you know not everyone's not kind of next to each other but it's kind of a bigger room that they've curtained off into two separate rooms so there's somebody just on the other side of the curtain basically right so there's no walls yeah. in between and this person who was on the other side was an elderly woman and she was letting off the biggest farts. <laughs> <I was old. laughs> like proper. Oh like the first time i heard it i thought it must have been an old leather chair like it was like a yeah. trumpet went off <laughs> and then just every five minutes she would i was like is she deaf have they taken out her like hearing aids or something or is she just like fuck it i'm in a hospital i don't care anymore i'm just gonna let these farts rip how old did you say she was Oh I would say from the little look that I had at her through the curtain in her sort of 70s I would have said at oh, least yeah. Yeah. I reckon once you cross 60 you stop giving a shit right Well I mean but this was even a noise I couldn't expect a 70 year old to make like it felt like it would break her body <laughs> but, yeah. You know what I mean like it was it felt too much for one little old lady
0: mate well I'm telling you the one thing about becoming a dad that is uh, uh shocked me most is that babies fart So nothing shocks me now about farts like my daughter for such a tiny sweet little thing farts like a truck driver like it is loud and it is violent <laughs> like it can wake you up in the middle of the night so i think maybe with like 60 years under her belt she could probably be like yeah trumpet farting for sure
1: um all right i have brought to the table here a list from the guardian uh the is what i'm looking at And uh, what they have done is they've listed the 20, I think, or more, no, it actually looks a bit more than 20. Um, uh, But basically, the idea is um, classic Australian TV history moments. And they're doing a little vote to find out what the, you know, the greatest moments in Australian TV history are, basically. Um, So, have you had a look at this list?
0: Uh, I had a look at it, yes. I recognised some, I did not recognise all.
1: Okay. Well, what I might try to do is I might start, uh, rather than just starting at the top of all these things, um, in case we don't get to all of them, what I might do is just look at some of the ones that have got the biggest votes first, and then we'll see how we go. Yeah. Um, Great. So, all right. I'll go through and I'll find um, uh, what I can see has got the most votes at the moment. So, okay. At at 2,462 votes so far... uh, Julia Gillard's misogyny speech. Do you remember that? I remember the speech. I'm
0: surprised mm. it's on the list. Was that like a like a TV moment?
1: Well, see, this is... I think that is a very good point to raise because it was televised because it was in Parliament and Parliament is televised. But are mm. you talking about that as being a TV moment? Like, do yeah. you consider when they televise the House of rep- Question Time in the House of Representatives as being a TV show? Like, is there anybody no. who's like, don't spoil what happened in Question Time, I'm going <laughs> to binge watch it on my holidays? Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't really, I mean, I guess there are storylines and there are arcs and stuff, but the idea that, you know, it's ratings week and so Julia Gillard rolled out a misogyny speech is not really how I would consider it. I'm not sure that I would consider that to be a, a TV moment.
0: Yeah, no, I mean,
1: I couldn't, I wouldn't be even be able to tell you like when, what year, what year was it? Uh, ooh, okay, I can click on the thing and it'll tell me. Prime Minister Julia Gillard's 2012. Oh, hang on, it started playing. It's got autoplay. Uh, Prime Minister Julia Gillard's uh, 2012 parliamentary speech. There you go, 2012, accusing opposition leader Tony Abbott and the Coalition of sexism and repulsive double standards made headlines around the world. The government will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man, she said. Not now. Yeah. Not ever. Ooh. I don't remember uh, anything about it apart from no. that bit. <laughs> well, what was yeah, a typical white straight man response, isn't it? Don't give a shit yeah. about Julian yeah. Gillard's misogyny Blah, blah, switch. blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, blah, 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 blah. That's what I heard. Whinge, 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 whinge. <laughs>
0: Yeah, be careful uh, when yeah. we endorse that political candidate. People are going to play this episode <laughs> and the bloody feminazis.
1: Listen to about Gillard. <laughs> um, all right, so that looks like it's clearly in the lead at the moment, but I yeah. don't consider that to be a television moment. So it's clearly in the lead because people expect. Okay, this next one is definitely a television moment. I'm going to say, 838 votes so far for the Chaser's Invasion of APEC in 2007. What do you remember about that? Uh, nothing. Say it again. The, the, the Chaser's Invasion of APEC. Oh, right. Do you not uh, remember yes, this? Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I do. I remember. Yeah. Uh, was that where Chad dressed up like Osama bin Laden?
1: No. Yes. Okay. Apart from the fact that his name is Chaz, not Chad. But <laughs> Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not doing very well the with these rest of it TV was, the
1: rest of it was definitely that. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right when Chad dressed up as uh, Obama Barack Obama
1: <laughs> so close. Uh, the whole world watched as Australia's leading tricksters <laughs> took the absolute piss out of the security and gravitas of APEC as political satire dies on the ABC schedule. And as the government increases draconian anti-terrorism security, it's worth remembering that the facade of security can be breached with some Canadian flags and handy cams. Um, So uh, basically, what happened, if if I remember, they were there'd been big. Basically, Sydney was being shut down because APEC was in town, and so the chaser decided how close could they get to? I think George W. Bush probably was in town, right? And uh, they mm. were like, "Who? how close can we get to the American president while dressed as Osama bin Laden? And it turns out, <laughs> heaps closer than they thought. <laughs> Basically, yeah. the idea was that they would get stopped at the first security checkpoint, and that would be the segment for the show. And then when they got let through the first security checkpoint, I remember hearing them talk about it later going, because well, they shit themselves. Because they're like, mm. okay, hang on, we've actually... Now got into a completely secure area that we're not meant to be in. If somebody works this out, we might just get shot. Yeah. I'm dressed that's as Osama bin Laden. My name is Chad, not Chaz. I don't know any Chazes. <laughs> Chad. Uh, all right. Well, that was. Did, a, they actually that was- up, did, they, did they
0: end up televising that, or is it just the aftermath that got televised? They, were they able to put that in their show? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, because I I'm feel gonna, like if they haven't, then that's two examples. Where it's like, well, I mean, it happened relating to TV, but it's not necessarily a TV moment.
1: Okay, I'm gonna.
0: The, it's not. It's not Normie Rowe, and I don't. Hopefully, I'm not. Um, hopefully, I'm. I'm not uh, uh, giving away any secrets. But when Normie Rowe got punched in the face by what's his face, uh, Ron Casey, Bruce Ruxton, Ron Casey. <laughs> no, I can't believe it's not Bruce Ruxton.
1: Um, here we go. Uh, the Chaser Apex pranks were a series of comic stunts that targeted, yeah, APEC, okay, uh, in Sydney, Australia. They were coordinated and performed by the Australian satire group, The Chaser, yep, okay. Um, The most prominent prank was the breach of an APEC-restricted zone in the heart of Sydney CBD on 6th of September. (laughs) Julian Morrow directed a fake Canadian motorcade, which was allowed through (laughs) the restricted zone by police and not detected until Chaz Lichinello alighted dressed as Osama bin Laden (laughs) that's when they worked out (laughs) I mean it was not a great day for Australian security was it we've got all these world leaders in and just somebody's whacked some do you reckon there were some people involved with Al-Qaeda who were just looking at that going fuck is that all we needed is that easy a limo (laughs) and some Canadian flags
0: (laughs) I mean do you reckon it's like in footy teams when they do the Monday review And they'll go back and they'll just play tapes. And they'll say, look, you know, the defense was a bit slacky. You let this guy through. Does, like, the security forces, do they get together and play a tape of that and go, I mean,
1: dude, the guy on the checkpoint, you waved him through. You didn't even read his ID properly. I mean, well, okay. Well, here's what happened. Um, Some team members faced charges for breaching the apex zone, but these were dropped because police had let them in. (laughs) Yeah. i mean mean, it's a pretty fair point isn't it yeah um okay yeah but i understand what you're saying i'm not sure that all of that did go to air so you're absolutely right i'm not sure the top two at the moment i'm not sure i necessarily do you reckon people got fired over that
0: like people who work for the afp or whoever was meant to be running security (sighs)
1: I mean, reassigned at the very least. You would think, right? <laughs> oh, the cat—the Catholic, Catholic Church model. Is oh, yeah. Is yeah, that exactly what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Move to a different precinct. Um, again, on 997 votes. Another one that I'm going to dismiss as not actually being a television moment, which is uh, Gough Whitlam's famous di- dismissal dis- dismissal speech. Dismissal. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. This and Julia Gillard could fit both um, into like a pol- like greatest political moments. Yeah, TV, but they're more right?
1: about the actual moment rather than it being a television moment, aren't they? And I'm gonna yeah. put I'm gonna put the next one on the list in that category as well, which is Kathy Freeman's four hundred win at the two thousand Olympics. Because again sporting achievement. It's a great sporting achievement, but is it an amazing TV moment? It's an amazing sporting moment that was also filmed. It feels like there's a lot of padding going on in this
0: list. It's like But these are all the ones that are ideas. winning. Yeah, right. Well, they shouldn't have offered them up. As nominees, it's it's bloody, uh, it's uh, it's, uh, throwing, it's throwing
1: the curve out. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm disqualifying all the ones we've talked about so far. Uh, yeah, what about this Boo. Thing? <laughs> Uh This is a take on the Norman Gunston, uh, on the sorry the Goff Whitlam dismissal, which is Norman yeah. Gunston appearing on the steps doing that TV interview with Goff Whitlam during the yeah. dismissal, and that has 304 votes, and that counts as a TV moment to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, it would have been the equivalent of Con the Fruiter <laughs> appearing on the steps. Who's the modern equivalent of of of, uh, of um, uh, Norman Gunston? Who's the, who's an Australian character like uh, like uh, I was going to say um, uh, Strawny, but <laughs> there's got to be a more recent
1: example. Oh, who's the dude a, from who, the dude from Fat Pizza, Paulie from Fat Pizza. <laughs>
0: Does he still do that? Is, I mean, is, is, is there a current like? Is there a character? That Australians are in love with. Someone goes out and plays a character all the time. That's their kind of bread and butter. I mean, Chopper, does he still do that? Um, Heath Franklin still do Chopper?
1: I mean, he does. But yes, you're talking about somebody who has social cu- currency as playing a character, right? Like, Yeah, so I
0: saw Jer- Jerry Connolly still does The Queen. The Queen. I saw him at, at the Theatre Awards last week. He was, yeah, uh, he was doing was Queen. But that's Queen. fair
1: because The Queen still does The Queen. I guess so. I think is Jerry else? Connolly... It's fine to, you know, it's like when Anthony Aykroyd was doing Kevin Rudd. He stopped doing yeah. Kevin Rudd when Kevin Rudd stopped being Prime Minister. And there was another, Jonas Holt, I think, was doing a Tony Abbott and he kind of stopped doing, at least, at least prominently, Tony Abbott when Tony Abbott stopped being. Yeah. I mean, Lawrence Moody doesn't do Malcolm Ab- Turnbull anymore. Turnbull anymore, no. But Australians I mean, I do think, love. I think that Tom Gleeson is the modern-day Norman Gunston. Like, I think right. that what Tom's done with the Logies and the way that Tom sort of you know the Tom Gleeson character. I mean, Tom,
0: but but Tom had his own Norman Gunston when he was the Aussie fast bowler, right? Like Australians, I don't know if this is a global phenomenon, but Australians do love uh, like a character, generally a sketch character that gets extended and suddenly, like, if in every Australian sketch show there'd be a character who caught fire, like a Conner Fruiter or a Kylie Mole or whatever. Like even when you see Eric Banner, uh, any any article about Eric Banner, there's always someone in the comments who's like, "Puda." Poyda. it's been 25 years since he did that fucking character. And we still like he could win an Oscar. And Australians would still be like, oh Poydar. Poider won an Oscar.
1: <laughs> totally. hundred uh, percent. um uh all right. Uh so let's poiter. find uh okay, Kathy Freeman. We said this. Um all right. uh, okay. Here's one that I consider to be an iconic Australian television moment. Scott and Charlene's wedding on Neighbours. Yes.
0: Yes. The dulcet tones of Rose Tattoo, or at least Angry Anderson singing Suddenly. I remember watching this live. I would have been about 10 years old, 10 or 11 years old. And uh, it was hard to explain how huge uh, Jason Donovan and Kylie Minogue were back in the day. Like... I don't know if there had been, because it was so big in the UK, like it was, for the first time ever, Australia, which has such a cultural cringe, we're used to kind of fawning over international celebs, but finally we had exported one that was like Beatlemania in the UK. And so, those two, getting married, was as big as it got. I mean... I was also a big fan of Peter O'Brien, who played... uh, God, what's his character's name? Neighbors. remember he he broke his back in the very first episode. And then at the end of that season, the cliffhanger was, he's going to dive again. It's like, no, the doctor said he could never dive again. (laughs) I remember as an eight or nine-year-old, like my heart been in my mouth, can Peter O'Brien dive again? But second to that would
1: be, yeah, Scott and Charlene's wedding. Well, what it says here in the description is, Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan were Neighbours breakout stars. As rumors of a real life love affair propelled their on screen romance to mythical status. But their characters, an unwed couple, were seen to be living in sin at the time. So the producers organized the wedding of the year. It was watched by more than 2 million Australians and 19.6 million Brits. That's amazing. amazing. 20 million Brits. Uh. Here we go. Uh, the triumph of young love over parental opposition and the whole nation was behind them. Not just the perfect wedding, but the perfect soapy episode too. Who could forget Mrs. Yeah. Mangle staring longingly at Harold? Dez putting a loving arm around Daphne? Or Paul looking back wistfully at Gail as Angry Anderson's power ballad suddenly belted out <laughs> in the background?
0: Well, I forgot all those moments, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> all I remember was Angry Anderson and Farley and Jason.
1: <laughs> um all right uh, did you get see.
0: channel 10 in hayfield as a kid was that no. one of your three channels no no well, we didn't get it.
1: neighbors but no but i remember seeing this and this was the interest because it was the talk of everybody at school you know and so yeah. mafra and Sale, i think both got channel 10 and we didn't get it at home so i remember us going to was it on channel <laughs> or was it on channel seven? Was it was on channel seven 10 for a while Start, Neighbours started though, right. on it started on 7 and yeah. then it shifted to 10. Yeah. That episode was on Channel 10. Right. And um, yeah, I remember us going over to a friend's place to watch it. That's how big <laughs> it was. And well, I hadn't watched oh the rest of the God. show. So it was like you just heard these myths. It was like I when I went and saw that Harry Potter play and I've never read any of the books. It was a bit like that with Scott and Charlene's wedding. Um. All right. Uh, let's have a look uh, down the rest of here and see what we can find. Uh I don't remember. Do you remember the TV show Round the Twist? Yes, absolutely.
0: I auditioned for this show. It was my first ever experience with acting. Round the Twist, based on the Paul Jennings books, which are kind of like they're kind of like Twilight Zone for kids. So they a great series of kids books and they're all like short stories that are all about some weird and wonderful things happening and Round the Twist was actually a really really great TV show. And I remember um, uh, they did a, like a probably a nationwide, but definitely a statewide search for the cast. And so they came to my school and they spoke to the teachers and they said, are there any kids... So how old are you at this stage? Probably would have been like 12 or 13. And we didn't really have a drama class or, or any kind of like recognisable drama program at the school I was at at the time. Right. But I think the stu- the teachers just said, well... You know, they just suggested class clowns. Who? What kids have personality do you think would be good to audition for this? So hang on, do, so, so you, um,
1: are you suggesting the producers were just going around to schools recruiting kids?
0: I think they, yeah, it's a big, yeah. they did a big casting call where they just sort of went out, they, because they, I guess when you're casting kids, like there's very few kids with established record. you might as well just do a big wide nationwide casting call because, you know, it's not like you've got a, a heap of kids to look at. Um so I got put forward and I remember – I have told this story before, but it's worth telling because it's so yeah. brilliant and it's amazing I became an actor because it was, it was so humiliating. So I got through the first couple of rounds of auditions. The first one was just like a meet and greet and you just you know speak on camera and then I got asked to come back for a second round of audition and then they said, uh, you've made it to the final round of auditions. So the final round of auditions was going to be a big Saturday workshop where there was 30 kids and we were all invited to come – in and the producers were going to be there and the network was going to be there and the director and Paul Jennings, the author mm. of the books, is going to be there. Oh, really? And Yeah, yeah. And so we all met at this scout hall in Melbourne um, to do this final big audition. And so they had said to us, like about two weeks before this, to um, prepare a piece. Come in with some, if you if you sing, prepare a song, mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. dance, prepare a dance. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you do, just come in prepared. And so up until this point, I'd never had any experience in acting or performing arts or anything it just wasn't in my family or none of my friends did it so i had no idea what they meant by preparing a piece and i remember i spoke to a few people and someone's mum suggested oh why don't you do a poem why don't you read a poem that'd be lovely charlie you should read them a poem that would be a lovely talent to bring and so <laughs> i memorized remember pam Ayers, like the world's worst fucking children's poet I had a Pamirs book, so I memorised some lame-ass Pam poem about fucking whatever. And I remember turning up to this scout hall, and even at that age, twelve, thirteen, realising I was in way over my head because I turn up, and every other kid there is like a fame school kid. They've been in acting, dancing, music classes from the age of fucking five, because they're all like vivacious and outgoing, and you know, stage parents are there, and so. We sit around.
1: We do a bunch they're of warm-up all sitting, exercises. They're all sitting there with their Pamirs poems ready to go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, funny you say that. Well, because no, they were sitting there with their fucking guitars and their fucking like uh, gymnastics outfits and stuff. Because we all sit in this big semicircle, and the producers are all sitting there on a ball. We do a big warm-up game, and if you've never done like drama before, like a warm-up game is hugely intimidating. Where suddenly you're sending claps around the room, and you're marching, and you're jumping up and down and stuff, and For a kid who was kind of shy already, I was immediately intimidated. And then we sit in this big semicircle in front of the producers. And they start just one by one going around the group. And you get up and you do your prepared piece. So the first kid gets up there and fucking dances to Billie Jean. Like fucking move perfect does the entire routine from billy jean second kid gets up there with his guitar and sings fucking american pie beautifully you know the, the producers are crying and i'm just watching one by one all these like super talented super experienced kids just get up and fucking nail it and i am sweating because i know that all i've got in my back pocket is this fucking pam airs poem yeah. and i'm just watching one by one yeah. as Your fucking palms all are recalling. Macaulay- knees weak yeah <laughs> I'm so happy. all these macaulay colkins are fucking getting uh-huh. up there just nailing it and it gets to me and so i get up there mm. throat tight as you would believe as you yep. believe and i start the poem and i just blank like i get like one word into it i just freeze oh, throat gets tight no. dead silence and one of the producers is like do you have do you have the poem with you would you would you like to read it? Would that make it easier? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So dead silence as I shuffle back to my seat, go through my bag, pull the book out, go back to the middle of the room, flick, nervously flick through to the page of the poem and then very quietly, my voice shaking, read the rest of the poem and then shuffle back to my chair as the next kid gets up and then fucking eats fire while standing on his head on a unicycle.
1: Well, two things. Firstly, how many of them are still actors? You're still an actor, Well. And you know. one, of them,
0: one of them is, uh, I remember this very clearly because he got the job. One of them is Jeffrey Walker, who is like an Emmy-winning, AFI-award-winning director now. He directs TV. He directed okay. Riot, yeah. that uh, ABC telemovie. But I remember, because he was a couple of years younger, but him just being so confident. Like he got up and he just did five minutes of stand-up on the top of his head. He was like eight years old. <laughs> he just gets up there and he's like doing crowd work and dropping anecdotes and then finishes off by singing I Still Call Australia Home. Like, the dude was... Pandering. A genius. (laughs) (laughs) It was Um, incredible. But I remember... Because we had a little break after the... Can you remember what the
1: poem was? Because do you know what the the subject matter or the title of the poem was? No,
0: no. I think from that, it was such a scarring memory. I think I have blanked... I can't even... Look, every time I've seen Pam Air's name in a a bookstore or anything, I'm just like, I can't. It was traumatic because they had a little break after the performances and then they came back and they said, oh God, it's so humiliating. Maybe I misremembered this, but it it felt like they said, okay, um, we're going to read some names out. If your name's read out, thank you very much for today. Um, uh, We won't be requiring any more from you, uh, but we don't need your name out. You're going to stay afterwards. We're going to do some more editions." clausen charlie (laughs) (laughs) that was it (laughs) the only one that they fucking got rid of and i remembered like catching the train back home like i had to walk to the train station catch a train back home and just sitting there like you know charlie brown just i walked home with that fucking my head's just hanging low the, the the cloud over me and sitting on the carriage on my own just like what the fuck was that like how could i have been so unprepared why didn't i how come i'm not talented and then these other kids on the train carriage started going, Charlie, Charlie. And I'm looking at them and they're laughing at me and I'm like, why is this day getting worse? And then I look down and realized that I've still got my name
1: Oh my no, shirt. cheer up, Charlie.
0: <laughs> oh, fuck, mate. It was, yeah, it was the absolute worst. And, and to add insult to injury, the show got made and it was fucking fantastic. Like it would have been... Such a great introduction to show business. Like, although maybe it would, have been, it, would have, it would have set my sights too high. Maybe you don't want to start with a great show. Maybe it's better that I've kicked and scratched and clawed my way from any scrap I've got along the way.
1: Well, exactly. But also, you know, you know I mean, maybe being a child star wouldn't have been good for you. Maybe it would have been like a, you know, <laughs> yeah. it might have been a Macaulay Corkin sort of situation. Or, gee, I saw, I saw some video of Edward Furlong the other day. Mm. Oh boy! Yeah, poor yeah, boy. you're right.
0: Maybe I, maybe I dodged a bullet. <laughs> yeah. Um, Although it could I could be an award-winning TV director isn't as well.
1: The Pamirs poem that you read, <laughs> but yeah, in my mind, I like to imagine this was the Pamirs poem you read. I bought myself a Wonderbra for fourteen ninety nine. It looks so good on the model girl's chest, and I hoped it would on mine. I took it from the packaging and when I tried it on, the Wonder Bra restored to me all I believed had gone. Mark <laughs> <Fuck> Lawson <laughs> <you, laughs> out <Pam>
0: <laughs> You are the world's worst poet. You ruined my life. You still write terrible poetry. Go to hell. That's what I'm saying. I'm taking a stand against Pam
1: Ares. Oh hang on. Like I mean that was that was a pretty good one. How about the I'll read you another Pamers no. poem? Uh, Because I've literally looked up um, uh, funniest Pam as poems. And uh, uh, fair to say, uh, not so far knocking me over with how funny they are, but um, here we go. This one's about dog. This one is about dogs. This is nice. I always like a dog at home. It makes it nice and hairy. And if a burglar calls, your dog will make the place sound scary. Your dog will idolize you and his love will never stop. You only need some food and drink and a bucket and a mop. Here's what I'm going to say about Pam Airs. She's shit. So <laughs>
0: shit. Like, whatever parent convinced me that that was the path to take, read a Pam Ayers poem. You fucked me twice.
1: Like, A,
0: reading a poem, B, reading a Pam Airs poem. Like, not even T.S. Eliot.
1: Mm. Not even like something that was good. Pam What's that? You think you got fucked by your uncle? No, I got fucked by an uncle. Told me to read a Pam Air's poem at an <laughs> audition for Round the Twist. <laughs> Would have preferred to be felled up. That's what I'm saying.
0: Uh, I look forward to endorsing that politician in six months' time and then the Pam Ayers, uh, the Pam Ayer's uh, fans come after
1: us. Uh, Bronson... So this is the storyline from Round the Twist that has got okay. 99 votes. Bronson... Do you know who Bronson was? Did you follow Round the Twist afterwards? No. No. So Bronson uh, wins a pissing contest in Round the Twist. Hmm. Humiliated in a school peeing competition, Bronson, what? the youngest of the Twist family, makes friends with a water spirit and demands... I think that is
0: played by Jeffrey Walker, the same director I'm talking about now. I think oh, it's really?
1: Yeah, let's look it up, yeah. Humiliated keep on, keep in talking. a school peeing competition. The traditional Australian school peeing competition, of course. <laughs> I've that never we all... heard of that before. Um, Todd Carney was like, I, I would have nailed that. Uh, humiliated <laughs> in a school peeing competition, Bronson, the youngest of the Twist family, makes friends with a water spirit and demands a rematch. The sight of his mighty stream flying over the tin wall of the boy's urinal as the music swells to a triumphant climax and the spirit winks at him through a water drip (laughs) so what the fuck this is some weird (laughs) slash fiction fiction so hang on this kid loses a pissing contest this is a water sports this is the sort of shit that's like all porn sites are now it's why no one can watch (laughs) porn anymore because it's always like (laughs) he's his uncle and also he's like stepmother and they're all having sex and there's a water spirit and then the water spirit winks at him um (laughs) Uh, so the sight of his mighty stream flying over the tin wall of the ball urinal as the music swells to a triumphant climax and a spirit winks at him through a water drip was a moment of sweet vindication for anyone who's ever been bullied. Okay. So it was a storyline about overcoming your bullet bullies, but it was a, about a winking water spirit. Yeah. A bit too much piss in that uh, yeah. little
0: story for me. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know that. I didn't know. It's not the actor I was thinking of who played Bronson okay. and, uh, I'm amazed that got 99 votes.
1: Uh, 31 votes. Do you remember yeah. the name, Charlie? Merlin Luck. Merlin Luck. Uh, fre
0: the Refugees? Oh, no, or was it Free the Refugees? Fre the
1: Refugees. No,
0: Free. Was it Fre? Or was it Free... I think it was... F- uh, free... free refugees. No, yeah, it
1: was Free the Refugees. <laughs> yeah. Evicted from season four of Big Brother... Luck hopped out of the car into the streaming audience, covered his mouth in duct tape and raised a sign he'd smuggled in. Free the refugees. The tense minutes of his final silent protest as host Gretel Colleen tried to get him to talk, gave the show its best ratings of the seasons and made headlines the next day. I remember Um, that. I remember seeing that live. I was into Big Brother
0: in the first few seasons. I really liked it. I remember that happening. It's actually, uh, it's pretty ballsy. I mean, back then, when you kind of in the early seasons, you didn't really know what the reaction was going to be to Big Brother. I think he was like a second or third seasoner, for well, someone to do season that. Season four. I mean, so by only, them,
1: they he, knew kind of by season four.
0: Okay, but he only—you've you, only got stuff to lose by doing something like that, don't you? Because it was still a massive show.
1: Yeah. Well, it's an iconic moment. It's got thirty-one votes, Charlie.
0: I do remember, probably lesser known than that, was in the final episode of that season when they uh, announced the winner. They bring all the old castmates back. And I remember Merlin <laughs> coming up to stage and he was wearing like a beanie, which was unusual because he had big, spiky, boofy hair. So he was wearing this really big beanie that looked like he was hiding something under his hat. Like the hat was so big, it was a bit like when Homer goes into the quickie mart with that fake cowboy hat on with a camera inside. <laughs> like clearly he was preparing for his sequel to the free tour refugees moment like i and i think in the end he had hidden something in his hat but it was like as soon as he walked on stage it was like Melon's hiding something in his giant beanie
1: yeah the the giant letter e off his original sign to complete his message oh free the refugees no that does make a lot of sense you're right um shut down all the detention centers the wrong winner of australia's next top model is announced do you remember this love it certainly do.
0: Sarah Murdoch's finest moment. Just just the greatest. I mean, I look, there's been a few of these recently, like the Oscars, the Warren Beatty reading out the wrong Oscar winner. There was that uh uh was it there was what was the American guy? There's a, was it like a Miss Universe or something like that? There was another one recently or or something like that, a Miss Universe with oh, yes, I love Harvey. Those. I just Steve Harvey. Yeah, yeah. I love him. I love those mistakes because I just think like You've made the mistake and you've got to then let that person know. Like To see someone go from on top of the world to feeling
1: like shit, it's amazing. To quote another Simpsons quote, you can see the exact moment in which their heart breaks. Kelsey Martinovich had been crowned the 2010 winner and had finished her acceptance speech. Uh, Hang on one sec, I think... Uh, Kelsey Martinovich had been crowned the 2010 winner and had finished her acceptance speech. Finished. When the Mm. bombshell was dropped.
0: Oh, was it that long after?
1: Yeah. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Host Sarah Murdoch had been fed the wrong name and Martinovich had actually lost to Amanda Ware. I don't know what to say right now. I'm feeling a bit sick about this, Murdoch said. The stuff up made for thrilling live TV and Martinovich received $25,000 and a trip to America by way of apology. And Sarah Murdoch, of course, uh, went on to live in a $200 million house in LA with her husband, Lachlan Murdoch, the heir of one of the most poisonous media companies of all time. So turned out fine for her as well.
0: I mean, I'm feeling a bit sick about this. What I should be feeling sick about is what I'm supporting in my marriage to this man
1: yeah the fact that my entire fortune is built on fucking disavowing climate change and i will probably see the end of the world in my 200 million dollar mansion um uh, all right ben ross breaks his arm live on the footy show
0: uh haven't seen it won't see it can't look at shit like that
1: so yeah it was the new south wales footy show uh, the footy show is known for its questionable stunts and displays of masculine bravado, but the recipe took a terrible turn one night in 2015 when during a live broadcast arm wrestle for charity with another former NRL player, the bones in former State of Origin stars Ben Ross's arms snapped clean in half.
0: I don't even want to hear about it. It makes me feel sick. Clean in half.
1: Burt <laughs> Newton and Muhammad Ali, speaking of awkward TV moments. Do you remember this? I don't see it, but I'm aware of it. Okay. So, during a bit of unscripted banter at the 1979 Logies, boxer Muhammad Ali refused to let it slide when Burt Newton beamed at him and addressed him with a derogatory term. I like the boy. Some in the audience grimaced, others laughed, and Muhammad Ali said, Who'd you call boy? (laughs) Newton claimed ignorance of the slur. Uh, uh, well, you think maybe he was ignorant of it, though, right? Because yeah, if you're going, I to... I wouldn't immediately associate that. If you're going, that, going to a different, yeah, if you're going to racially insult somebody in Australia, that wasn't a term that was necessarily used in that derogatory fashion. And if you were going to insult anyone, I'm not sure it would be Muhammad Ali. He's the one person yeah, exactly. I imagine you'd be reasonably careful with your language around. <laughs> um stephen bradbury's win at the 20 uh, the 2002 winter olympics again is a great sporting moment but i would not necessarily say it was a great tv moment how do you feel no, about
0: that I, I doubt there would have been a lot of people watching like at least the kathy freeman yeah. one you'd say oh people are watching that because you know she's a chance to win i doubt there was many people who were gathered around the tv to watch stephen bradbury it would have been after
1: the fact bob Hawke's advice for bosses after australia won the america's cup in 1983.
0: Ah, uh, yeah,
1: uh, yeah. Uh, I'll do my patented uh, Bob Hawke man to break this out for a
0: while. Uh, anyway, any boss who sacks an uh, employee for not coming in today is a bum.
1: Is that right? <laughs> that is ex- That was exactly right. You nailed it. Oh. I just played it, and it sounded exactly the same. Australia <laughs> wrestled back the America's Cup in 1983 after 132 years of U.S. dominance. Prime Minister Bob Hawke wanted Australia to know uh, it had his permission to party hard. And to hell with work, sporting a garishly patriotic jacket and seeming half cut despite the early hour. (laughs) (laughs) This is a different era of Uh, Australia. And I know that for, you know, disenfranchised people in Australia, it was probably quite a terrible time and we are much more progressive in a lot of ways now, but... It is a time in Australia's history that, I, that there is a lot of affection for, and I do miss when our Prime Minister would dress up in a garish jacket, barric, get half cut and barrack at home, us against the Americans, and then declare that everyone should have the day off work. <laughs> That to me was when Australia peaked, when our Prime Minister was on national TV telling us all to have a day off work and bugger the economy because we'd beaten America in a boat race. (laughs) Yeah, everyone pull a sickie. Uh, All right. Iggy Pop's performance on Countdown in 1980.
0: Uh, highly recommend anyone who hasn't seen this. Google, just Google Iggy Pop in the in the late 70s, early 80s. Brilliant. Uh, high as a kite, tripping balls. Uh, calls Molly Meldrum dog face? Is that what he calls them? Is it dog face or hound face? Something, something along those lines. It's amazing. He's. What do you reckon he's on? I mean, do you think it's acid? It looks like acid.
1: I mean... In that era, probably everything, because there's that famous story, yeah. which I think i am told again on this podcast before, but I was told about Iggy Pop uh, being uh, not even arrested at an airport, being uh, taken away from an airport because he'd rocked up to the airport dressed as a woman, Mrs. Doubtfire, Doubtfire <laughs> style, and he had a handbag filled with cocaine. And I don't mean in little packages, but allegedly, the way I was told the story was there was like, there was all this cocaine and he just emptied it straight into a handbag and dressed up as a woman and headed for the airport. I love it. Probably Uh, one of the the,
0: few instances in which someone was
1: higher than Molly Meldrum on an occasion. The Godfather of Punk was a sullen, silly mess in a 1979 episode of Countdown, miffed at having to mime and then later blaming jet lag. For his refusal to answer Molly Meldrum's yeah, yeah. questions. that's a good one.
0: Yeah, uh, exhaustion,
1: blamed exhaustion. Instead, he jackrabbited that, on his chair, making noises and pulling faces. Yeah,
0: I think uh, during that that uh, to show that he was miming, he stuck the microphone down his pants. Yeah, at one point.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Ron Ron Casey punch up with Normie Rowe on the midday was show. Coming. I bites. actually
0: s- saw this live. I remember watching this. I don't know why I was home from school, but I remember seeing this live and could not believe my eyes. It was like, it's just something, especially on the Ray Martin show, like the most vanilla, bland, you know, octogenarian audience TV show <laughs> to see two folks punching on. I remember I went to footy training that afternoon and it was all the talk of the East Brighton vampires.
1: Was, Did you see the punch on on midday with Ray Martin? During a 1991 debate about what were they debating? Do you remember what they were having a debate about?
0: But no, that's a good point. I have no idea. Was it something to do with like
1: Anzac Day or or Vietnam or something? Okay, so you're in the right zone about what they took exception okay. about. The debate was actually about republicanism. Normie oh. Rowe, singer, actor, and Vietnam vet, took exception to broadcast the Ron Casey's comments about the war calling him a low rat before shoving him back into his chair casey Mm. red faced and already sporting a vicious cut to his forehead responded with a right hook to his face it's a fucking brilliant shot pulled apart by a shocked ray martin
0: (laughs) and what i love about it too is like because normie's not expecting it i mean ron pops out of that chair and just cracks him But then it's like Normie shuffles off the stage. He's a bit shocked, but he gets into, like, Queensberry stance. (laughs) Like, he he holds his fists up, but he's got the old-school Queensberry stance. It's like, oh, my God, this is
1: amazing. Let them fight. Uh, In the words of Godzilla, the remake, let them fight. Uh, Adam Good's celebratory spear throw during the 2015 AFL Indigenous round. Great sporting moment. Is it a great TV moment? I don't know. Again, that would... I mean, especially of all the kind of things that have happened in the AFL, like, would that be
0: up there i mean mean, in terms of
1: the impact it caused Mm. yes iconic moment yes absolutely an iconic sporting moment and you know considering the protests that he was making and the way he made it and being indigenous round an iconic moment in the history of sport but uh, again uh, you know there's a few of these here that are getting big votes that aren't necessarily what i would consider to be exclusively the tv moments they're great moments of history that happen to be televised I feel like what we're
0: getting is a bunch of people voting for Taylor Swift during the Hottest 100.
1: It's like, look, we get it. (laughs) It's not the spirit of what we're trying to do. Okay, here's one that is purely a television moment and to be honest with you, I think is probably one of the most iconic TV moments of all time. Uh, In fact, I'll give you a guess, Charlie, if you want to have a guess. It's from a a TV drama and this was Mm -hmm. the most... uh, Up there was Scott and Charlene's wedding as being one of the most iconic TV drama moments of our youth. Okay, and was it, a, was it a death? It was a death. Molly dies on a country practice. Molly dies on a country practice. <laughs> <laughs> Few who watched this 1985 episode will ever forget the sight of Molly and Tenny, the quirky farmer who had battled leukemia for 10 weeks as she watched her husband, Brandon, fly a kite with their daughter from a lounge in their garden. The screen... Fades to black oh it was gets me every time i remember just how fucking sad i was when molly died on a country practice (laughs) um naomi robson's tribute to steve Uh, Irwin. no no anything about this well so if you don't remember this this is one of the greatest moments in australian tv history Less than 24 hours after Steve Irwin's death, Today Tonight host. Now, for those who don't know what Today Tonight was, it was like a tabloid TV, a current affair style show that was on Channel 7, and it was hosted by Naomi Robson. Uh, Today Tonight host Naomi Robson went on air dressed as. A, c- a crocodile? <laughs> the crocodile hunter. So. It's 24 hours after he dies and the host of the current affairs key. show is dressed up in her kake like she's Steve Irwin. So already oh there's got to be somebody going, hang on, is this an appropriate tribute? I'm not <laughs> sure this is actually an appropriate tribute, but the best thing was she had a lizard on her shoulder. Oh fuck. I do remember this. A live day. lizard on her shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Graham Kennedy. Tune in this
0: week. Naomi Robson is going in blackface as Kobe Bryant. In <laughs> oh. <laughs> a touching tribute to the LA
1: Lakers star. Oh, wow. Uh, Graham Kennedy's crow call. Uh,
0: look, I mean, way too young to have seen it, but of course we all know, fuck, fuck, fuck.
1: One of the... This was... Graham Kennedy was our... Johnny Carson. Graham Kennedy Definitely. was our first ever Mr. Television. and He was an incredible entertainer when, you know, those, that idea of there being a, you know, Tonight Show, a variety show on television. And he was the greatest of all. And often when you hear things like that, when you look back at their work, you actually go, hmm, were they? Mm. Were they The standards great? weren't that high. <laughs> yeah. But Graham Kennedy would be the biggest star on television today because he was... Yeah. One of those people who was always pushing the boundaries of what he did. He wasn't Mr. Mainstream. He was, Mm. and the idea that back then, because you couldn't say fuck on TV, so he did this iconic crow call, which was just basically him saying fuck, was actually quite a revolutionary moment in Australian television. And I just loved that he just, he thought it was funny. Well, we would
0: we knew Graham Kennedy not from IMT or whatever it was. It was Graham Kennedy's Coast to Coast, which was like ostensibly a news program. It was, I guess, it was kind of like a precursor, to like the Daily Show or any of those kind of news panel shows you have now, where he often would not even get to the news. He was the kind of guy. He was the kind of talent where you just give him a camera and half an hour, and he'll just entertain you. Just let him riff. He was that good. He was that funny.
1: Uh, okay, Marty the Monsters, Kangaroo Attack, Kangaroo Attack. <laughs> during brilliant. a live kids broadcast do you hey, this is remember awesome this?
0: <laughs> yes i believe we've watched this on an episode of doofat before it's fucking brilliant like it the is so early good.
1: bird show would have been a mere footnote in australian tv history were it not for the violent rage of rags <laughs> the giant red <laughs> kangaroo <laughs> during a live shoot at Mombulk animal kingdom rags took an instant dislike to marty the monster a presenter wearing a full-body furry costume, <laughs> tackling him to the ground and pinning him by the neck for an uncomfortable period of time.
0: <laughs> so great. It's so great. There was a rumour. There was a nightclub we used to go to when we were all out of high school. Um, and there was a rumour that the bouncer who worked in the door there was actually Mighty the Monster. We are too scared to ask him, but that was the rumour, is that Marty the Monster actually ended up working the door at this nightclub in Melbourne.
1: Uh, do you remember the actor John Howard apologising yes. to Indigenous Australia yes. on the TV show The Games?
0: Yes, I do. That's brilliant bit of writing.
1: One of the most brilliant bits of I was literally just thinking about this the other day when... Um, you know, there was all the furor around Scott Morrison, you know, going to um, obviously Hawaii when the bushfires were on and how he wasn't really acting like a leader. I was really thinking about this moment from the games and missing John Clark so much because what they did, you know, when John Howard, the Prime Minister, would not apologise to the Indigenous Australians, the idea that they wrote in, A, wrote this speech of what, what John Howard, the Prime Minister, should say, these perfect words of what the perfect, you know, sort of apology would be in this moment. But Mm. then got the actor, John Howard, to come in and actually do it. It was one of those moments. That, to me, is a magical television moment. That is That, to me, is, you know, taking an art form. And, you know, the games, I would argue, also had that great iconic television moment of the track not being the right, the 100-meter track not being 100 meters. (laughs) That is still one of the greatest ever moments of television in Australian television history. But I think this one actually surpassed it. In the lead up to the 2000 Sydney Olympics, calls had been growing for the Prime Minister, John Howard, to formally apologise to Indigenous Australians for the destructive acts of white Australia throughout colonisation. He refused, so on an episode of the satirical comedy of the Games, the actor John Howard did it instead. Uh, this, to me, Charlie, this next one should be uh, number one on this list, on any list that looks back on the history of Australian television, if you're looking at moments that are iconically great television moments, this is the one that I voted for. I have voted on this list and this is the one that I voted for. Charlie, what is this moment?
0: Corey Worthington's interview, Party Boy,
1: Corey Worthington's interview on, Was it A Current Affair? 500 people crashed a 16-year-old's house party while his parents were away in 2008. Reason enough for a current affair to show up at his door uh, doorstep to chastise him. The hair, the hat, the nipple ring, the yellow sunnies became instantly iconic. I'll say sorry, but I'm not taking off my glasses. <laughs> Why not? Because they're famous. <laughs> the Corey Worthington. It should have... If we could, Russian style, if you haven't bloody given a dollar to our bushfire appeal, but you want to support Mm. this podcast in another way, go to the Guardian's page of iconic Australian TV moments and vote... Michael can
0: put the the link underneath this episode so people can can look at it. And vote
1: for Corey Worthington on A Current Affair because I will argue that it is an iconic Australian television moment because all these other previous moments have either been iconic moments that were captured by television or they have been things that have been scripted to be iconic moments you know a wedding or a death these sort of things are scripted to be iconic moments but to me this is a spontaneously memorable moment a bit like the sort of the Ron Casey Normie Rowe thing a magical television moment that happened out of the magic of television and so to me the greatest ever moment on Australian TV
0: yeah and we actually did an episode yeah uh, about this, I'm just finding uh, um, it's episode 179 where we actually go through the whole interview because what we talk about in it. The brilliant thing about it is the way this 16-year-old just perfectly plays this pompous, a current affair anchor. The way that she thinks she's going to nail him by just belittling him and going to get him to apologise, and just like a slippery little eel, <laughs> he refuses to be shamed. He turns the tables on her in such an artful way. It's amazing. Just the the whole thing is you could not write anything as
1: good as this interview is. It's just so brilliant. Well, he was the he was the OK Boomer meme twelve yes. years before OK Boomer. That's what yeah. Corey because that that whole OK Boomer thing that was just essentially what Corey Worthington was doing to a current affair. A current affair being yeah. the the most boomer television show of all time and then suddenly they met their match this you know millennial I don't even know if you would be a millennial you might even be too old to be that but it was well, the, yeah. right on the edge of you know us discovering this next generation who did not give a fuck for our ways I mean and my favourite line and I'm paraphrasing is when she
0: says something along the lines of take a good hard look at yourself and he goes I have everyone uh, has they uh, love it they love it <laughs> Game set match,
1: Corey. Everyone has, (laughs) they love it.
0: Oh, (laughs) all right, let's wrap it up there. Yeah, um, uh, if you want to support uh, our show, Patreon is the best way to go about that. Patreon.com forward slash TOFOP. We've just uploaded a new Everyone Relax. There's a whole bunch of uh, 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 exclusive behind the scenes uh material there. There's, uh, uh, um, uh, there's Q&As, there's comic strips, um, there's what else? There's other good stuff. I can't think my brain's not working. What else do we have in our Patreon? Uh,
1: Videos, did you say that? Videos, Videos,
0: yeah, videos. Look, there's just heaps of stuff there. Go check it out. Um, If you want to support our Bushfire Fund, uh, there'll be a link in this episode description. We're almost at 100,000. Look, I know that numbers are irrelevant when it comes to a good cause, but if we could get over 100,000, I would just feel good about that. We've only got about three grand to go. So all those people, and we know there's a lot of you out there who listen to the show who haven't donated, if you donated $1, you'd tip us over the 100,000 and then we can stop hassling you about it. Then we can wrap this whole thing up up um but look thank you to everyone who's done it so far again it's beyond anything beyond what we expected you've been so generous and it's going to a good cause so thank you to those who have donated.
1: and if you've already donated and you want to help us in another way go to the guardian.com <laughs> and vote for Corey worthington i have everyone has they love it <laughs> they love it also check out our youtube channel
0: um we're going to be uploading we're going to be updating that with some new material now yes. uh, soon but there's a lot of stuff up there there's our web series there's q and a's there's animations there's a whole bunch of great stuff there so make sure you check out our youtube channel
1: and um, i am on tour at the moment so if you want to come and see me thank you to everyone who came out to my improvised shows what you're talking about will at the sydney comedy store uh had the best fun doing those shows that i've ever had um i I think because i'm not trying to work up new material like sometimes when i do those shows previously you know that whole idea is like oh i've got to get some material out of tonight's show whereas because i'm not doing that i'm just doing the shows as shows in the room they've been the most fun i've ever had and every one of them has been really different and Everybody came along to play as well, Charlie, which was really nice because like you worry that like – but no, people shared amazing stories with me and we went on all these yeah, amazing adventures through their lives and had so much fun. So I've got another 10 of those shows that I'll be doing at the Melbourne awesome. International Comedy Festival during the um, during the Comedy Festival. So they'll be different every night. Come and see more than one if you'd like to. And I'm also doing Will Legal there. But the next place I am at is Brunswick Head's. I'm doing five shows in Brunswick Heads Northern Rivers of New South Wales doing my will Inform show. So that starts on February eleven and then I'm off to the Adelaide Fringe doing will Inform there as well. So uh, uh, buy some tickets, come and see me do a show. Uh, one last thing I have another podcast called Dad Pod
0: with Osha Ginsberg. We're back for 2020. we uh, We've got Yumi Steins on this week. She's our first mum dad who's coming on the show to give us some advice um there's at least uh, 12 episodes for you to dip back into bo ryan was the week before it's great stuff osha's great because he does all the reading and research and i just get to ask him questions so it just saves me having to read all those books because there's a lot to read will there's a lot to learn about being a dad no, i don't have time for this i gotta do this bloody show
1: no i like you i like your podcast with osha because um i can learn how to be a dad at about the same rate you're learning how <laughs> With none of the responsibility it Feels like it's a master class But you've dumbed it down for me <laughs> I'm Charlie Clawson I'm Will Anderson This podcast is part of the
0: Planet Broadcasting Network Visit planetbroadcasting.com For more podcasts from our great mates I mean, if you want It's, it's up to you